0: Welcome to EPMI Cast. I'm Alice Cadet, Marketing Manager at EPMI. Today we have part two of our scoping series, so we'll be discussing planning. Implementing Oracle's planning application requires customers to come prepared before the project even starts. The cast will t- take our audience through how they determine level of effort for planning modules, including financial planning, workforce planning, and reporting. We'll also discuss tips on how to prevent scope creep. Check out part one, where we focus on uh, account reconciliations and financial closing consolidation. Don't forget to subscribe and rate EPMIcast on your preferred uh, streaming platforms, and I'll have Fletcher start things off.
1: On previous episodes, we've talked about things ranging from the basics of an EPM project migrating on-premise applications, but uh, given it is the time of year and a lot of our clients and prospective clients are already looking ahead to the fall for planning and budgeting season, we have been busy these past couple of months scoping out a number of different planning projects ranging from uh, Fortune 500 companies to sub 500 million privately held organizations. So we figured it'd be a good time to talk about what drives complexity in a planning project. Uh, we'll get through introductions pretty quickly. My name is Fletcher, uh, part of the sales team here at EPMI. And then we're joined today with Tulsi and Chen, if you guys want to say hey real quick. Hey
2: everyone, I'm Tulsi. I'm on the pre-sales
0: team here at EPMI. I'm Ken Lin. I'm the VP of technology here at EPMI. Uh, happy to talk about planning one of my favorite products.
1: You know, again, we work with companies of all sizes, you know, see projects ranging from strictly out of box, 12-week timelines, and beyond. Um, so Chin, this first question is at you. So, maybe one good way to look at it is what would a what would a simple planning project look like? Let's just say you know within the financials module within cloud planning, you know what would the most standard planning project look like, and then from there, maybe we can extrapolate what the most complex one would look like
0: so certainly, if we're talking about simple, we we first want to kind of define um, you know what planning processes are are in scope, whether that's going to include kind of an annual budgeting or annual operating plan functionality. Or also some sort of like monthly forecasting capability or rolling forecasting capability. So typically, um, you know, we see customers who want to do, say, I want to do both the forecast and plan, or say they just want to focus on a rolling forecast. So that's, that's one of the first questions to answer. And secondly, uh, to kind of lead to success, we we want to achieve something that's attainable. So um, typically, we we might start out with say let's build out your your core financial statement, which is your income statement, for example. So um, let's let's do kind of an income statement where we want to give you an ability to plan for your revenues, plan for your expenses, and then marry those together into an income statement with some key KPIs as well.
2: I think the method of planning can also, you know, determine the complexity. Are we really doing more of a template-based direct input approach? Or are we getting more complex in terms of that driver-based or trend-based approach?
1: Yeah, and what is better supported with the tool? What's typically quicker?
0: So all of those that Tulsi just named are going to be in play, right? So that's one of the beauties of of working with these planning frameworks is that certainly we see a a ton of direct input in terms of, uh, you know, people want to take the models that they already have or the offline processes that they already have, take the output of that and just kind of like send it in, make sure it's going going into the right department, the right cost center. So it's representing my business unit accurately. Um, And then stepping up from there, um, you can do trend-based planning, right? So if you have, of actuals that you can bring in from a historical uh, data perspective, or from a source system, if you have prior years of plan or forecast data that you can load in, even better, right? To use those those historicals to drive out a trend, um, whether that includes you know seasonality or, or other various you know metrics or components, I can you can do that. And then the the highest tier of maturity would be. Um, to, to use drivers, right? So for areas where that makes sense, like travel entertainment, for marketing expense, those types of things, you can easily build a driver-based paradigm into the model. Kind of centralize and standardize how you calculate out those drivers, and then deliver that to to your, your end, end users, right? So they can all, if there's something they can all plan in the same way using the same drivers, then go for it.
1: And how much input would you say you know on any uh, project that Chen, your team has in Uh, revisiting these drivers and confirming assumptions and making sure right they're leveraging the right type of historical data
0: so it kind of depends on what's available so i I would say that um, as long as it's good data it's something that we can consider bringing in as a driver so for example talking about kind of like travel and entertainment that type of stuff you know if there's some sort of uh, linkage that we can create to their expense tracking system to kind of like bring in say concur data if, if that's going to be relevant to understand travel on on like a per department basis and you know, that could be a pretty cool data set to to then be able to drive you know what are our future travel expenses going to be um if we have uh bad data though or no data then then that's a different
1: story right well, i guess almost no data would be a cleaner starting point you know loading Certainly. Circles, but but wouldn't be able to capitalize as much on those uh, driver trend-based planning uh, tools. Uh, well, you said the word linkage, and I think that's an, an easy segue into talking about source systems. Um, so any planning project you know, that we've brought in over the past couple of years is always going to be pulling data from an ERP and enterprise resource planning or GL accounting system. Chen, uh, could you share a little bit about what drives complexity when integrating with a, a GL system? And then we can go from there, uh, bringing in different third-party tools.
0: So stepping into the realm of accounting in which I'm a novice, but I'll, I'll do my best here. So i um, talking about like source system complexity, specifically around like the ERP, we're t- typically going to bring in your general ledger information. So to represent your actuals, your revenues, your expenses, um, if you, the scope extends to the balance sheet and cash flow, also those accounts as well. Um, there's a lot of questions to answer, though, like, are we bringing in detail at just kind of like the trial balance level where we have like a monthly balance to represent um, each account? Right? Are we bringing in detail at a lower level? Is it going to be kind of like a journal level, record level or transactional level detail? Those are all possibilities. And there's different uh, kind of complexities built into that different implications around all of those choices. But certainly um, it's all possible. Uh, you can do it with the tool. But, you know, w- with more complexity comes more time and more effort to implement.
1: Right. And so what's driving the complexity there is at least getting down to the most granular level, right? Looking at the individual transaction. Um, we hear, you know, this, uh, this idea of drilling down to detail, you know, central source of truth, having all your uh, finance and accounting data in one source. Um, what are some like business use cases or misconceptions about having very granular data, at least for planning and budgeting?
0: So for planning and budgeting, I think uh, it's giving users that comfort level that their actuals are coming in accurately and coming in at the the right level of detail. So they may see kind of a periodic balance represented on a form, like let's that say that represents their their travel total for a month of actuals. But they they want to be able to to click on that, interact with that specific balance, and then view the the actual transactions that make up it make up that balance, the details within. So you know, Jane Doe spent so much money on hotel rooms and this is the invoice number and this is the other metadata that's related to that transaction. So we we have we had customers where they've needed that transactional level of detail brought in in that drill through layer. So they can really verify the, that the actuals are accurate. And then sometimes they even want to be able to, to kind of like get a warm transfer over to the source system itself. So that they can go to the, you know, the the portal site, the, the landing page for the ERP and then look there as well.
2: I'm just going to add on to that point in terms of, you know, granularity and the cost benefit between, you know, you might have really detailed actuals, but oftentimes, you know, customers can get into the trap of budgeting at a very granular level, right? So determining kind of the cost benefit of, yes, it seems like you're getting super accurate, but what is it taking to develop a budget at that level? And that it's okay to have differences and disparity between your actuals and budget and expected.
0: Yeah, that's an incredibly important point, because, you know, you may have a really mature general ledger, and you may have a system where, just talking about office expenses, you may have a geo account for pens, you may have a geo account for pencils, and that that's not going to be materially relevant for you when you're doing your plan. So certainly determining the right level of detail to bring in, very important.
1: Right, and we work with a lot of manufacturing or product-driven companies, and a common uh, use case or common process there is budgeting at the SKU level or you know product family levels of detail. Uh, in that case, especially with so much complexity and kind of the input, uh, product design, and then final output of a product, that is necessary. Where you know when you're getting into office expenses, though, you might not want to budget at you know pens and paper, especially if we're all working from home. What about uh, any non-financial data? Right, I know we integrate with uh, probably the second most common. Category of tools we'll integrate with is a workforce planning tool or an HRIS system. Um, do you want to shed a little bit of light on you know what drives the complexity there?
0: So, I mean, I'll take that first stab at it. So, uh, we we're very familiar with integrating with all sorts of HRIS tools, um, whether it's like an Oracle, you know, HCM system or, or another HRIS tool, and we've also integrated directly with payroll systems like ADP and you know, Workday, and many others. Um, so so that's all possible. I'd say that the complexity for this is, is kind of driven around um, the granularity level that they're really aiming to get to within workforce planning. Because there, there's there's lots of permutations that you can do, right? So you can do uh, a per-employee level, you, you plan per level planning where you plan for each specific name person. You can do per-job level planning where you plan for each specific job code or job function. Or you can even blend those two together and plan for a specific person in their functions of each job that they may be doing. So depending on that granularity that you choose to plan for, what would then drive a lot of the complexity around the data that you need to bring in to support it?
1: Business value there, right? Like what what would make an organization opt to plan either at the employee or job level or even both?
0: So I'd say around that, there's there's always going to be a trade-off between like accuracy um, versus timeliness, right? So if you have a smaller organization. So like if you're say less than 5,000 people, you may want to do something that's employee jobs. So you can really, um, you know, track person by person, you know, throughout their careers to date and see, you know, what all of the positions that they've been in, you know, hey, how how have they grown with us as a company? You know, what are, what is all the historicals related to this person? What are all the historicals related to this job? Um, That's all going to be important. But when you're talking about, a company with like thirty thousand employees that may no longer make sense, right you may just want to do that job only detail where you're you're planning for buckets of people at a time, so I want to plan for all uh two thousand my plant managers at this one plant or whatever it may be at once
1: right, and with we could almost do an entire podcast just on workforce planning because you could go forever uh you know building out different Uh, levels of detail for planning because I know like for example another use case isn't there demographic tracking within a workforce planning so you know for some more um, ESG minded organizations you can can even track demographics across age race gender uh, where they live etc
0: yeah that's where you get to that sensitivity around like HR data specifically because I've seen a lot of organizations and companies not want to touch that you know they don't want to know have this function kind of even have a, a tinge of being Uh, part of the planning process for someone's salary having to do with their skill set or their age or their gender or anything like that. But certainly uh, those demographics and analytic capabilities are included in the tool if you want to enable it. And it certainly could be helpful. Like if you're planning for um, like workforce, you know, five years down the line, you certainly want to know, you know, who in your office is going to retire by then things like that.
1: Yeah. Right. You got to look out for turnover as well do we ever pull data from like CRMs or anything like that? There's an element of sales planning or revenue planning that goes into the majority of our projects. Um, But how often are we pulling, you know, granular either territory account level or revenue data from like a Salesforce Oracle sales cloud?
0: So I'd say that that comes up more often when we're doing more detailed revenue or margin planning, which does come up um, pretty frequently actually. Uh, and certainly there's also an additional um, like sales planning dedicated product where that would definitely be the primary source system, right, is the CRM. So it definitely does come up, um, that level of detail. Uh, it really just, just depends on, you know, the data model that we're building towards, right? If we need to know territories, if we need to know sales reps, if we need to know that, know that information and that information exists in a CRM and it's accurate, we want to bring in it.
1: And how well does EPM ingest, you know, non-financial types of data? Because I'm just thinking about a certain client where we also pulled data from like a demand planning tool. You know, how do the integration utilities built into EPM help translate that into the target application?
0: Yeah, the the tool set's pretty robust. Um, You know, while certainly there's some advantages to working with source systems that come from Oracle, that's definitely not a requirement, right? So any sort of flat file, um, and now with the EPM integration agent capability, Um, any sort of relational database as well, we can connect to that and pull out the information we need.
1: I hear a lot of our clients talking about it have a data warehouse. So, you know, having all that data in one, uh, at least one physical location or digital location, uh, moreover, uh, definitely makes it a little more straightforward when building out that integration.
0: Yeah, data lake, data warehouse. We love that type of stuff. Just just give us uh, one source to point to and, you know, we can create a bunch of queries and then take all the data out and use it.
1: What's the difference between a data lake and a data warehouse?
0: I think one's wetter than the other one. I'm not really sure.
1: <laughs> one maybe the warehouse is a little more organized. Yep. Uh that's funny. Um Tulsi, I want to turn this next one over to you. Uh, We work together a lot one-on-one, you know, helping clients determine level of effort, you know, what a project might look like, and especially around reporting, right? You come from a consulting background, having built out, you know, reports at tons of different companies. Uh, Could you share a little bit, you know, at least from like a forecasting or reporting perspective, you know, what drives complexity across P&L, balance sheet, cash flow reports, and then maybe any management or operational reports we commonly see?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be really similar to what we were talking about on the budget side in terms of, you know, are we talking just balance level GL data, are we getting into the need to combine with more operational or management views. And that can quickly add complexity right where we're combining multiple sources together to be able to create a report, but it is one of the key benefits of the performance management platform. Um, I think also in terms of, you know, how are you analyzing and categorizing your data in terms of dimensions, right? There's going to be a number of models that are available out of box that are a little bit more straightforward to set up. And then there's going to be needs that need to be more um, built from the ground up in terms of custom models. And so I think determining, you know, are we doing more, you know, base level PL type analysis without getting to like customer or vendor, or are we getting into, you know, combining with operational metrics and trying to figure out what to do with, you know, standard costing variances. And that type of thing
1: and you know we talk about out of box all the time um but you're usually the one telling us if it all fits in without with an out of box so like what are some key things that you look for when we're scoping out a project to determine you know if a pnl report let's just say fits into um or mostly fits into what oracle recommends out of box
2: Yeah, I mean, and Chen can add some color here too, but I think one of the first things we look at is that dimensionality, right, does it align with what Oracle supports, then we'll get more granular in terms of the types of calculation rules allocations that they might be looking at to make sure that it's going to be a fit with uh, what is preconfigured within the solution.
0: Uh, certainly some um, hard limits i'd say that they they're more generous than they used to be, but there are certainly some, some you know guardrails around what's possible without a box, so we want to make sure and confirm that that you know the the report that you're hoping to generate um, the dimensions will all fit within uh, what can come within the box and if it doesn't you know we make our own box and then we, we customize <laughs> we do freeform planning and then uh, things will will still work out.
1: I'm just laughing at how ironic that is because when we say out of box, we actually mean in the box, right? Right.
0: <laughs> well, we're taking, we're taking it out of the box and playing yeah. with it,
1: yeah, I exactly. guess. Cool. Uh, so typically, at least from our experience, you know, 90% of the time we're talking to FP&A teams, we talk about reporting, they're referring to PL balance sheet, cash flow reports. Sometimes for privately held companies, those are looped together like in a management book or a management report. Um, but for some of these publicly traded companies, I think this is where uh, alternate reporting hierarchies come in. Could y'all share a little bit of color on, you know, why an organization would need alternate hierarchies and what the implications are for a project?
2: Yeah, I can take a pass at this one. Um, so I do you think There are a lot of different drivers on alternate hierarchies, uh, first of which is going to be kind of who is your audience for reporting, right? Is it truly maybe more external reporting for gap purposes versus management reporting where you might want to look at a regional versus the product versus the business line type roll up? I think another thing that can get interesting um, pretty quickly in terms of dimensionality and how much history we're going to bring into the solution is how has your structure and your organization changed over time, right? As soon as we start to do things like reorg or change the way we're rolling things up, we start to have an impact on how comparable data is over time. So oftentimes we'll lean on alternate hierarchies or solutions like enterprise data management, which you could do a whole session on uh, to be able to manage those different views and make sure that our analysis can be meaningful in terms of the insights that we're getting out of it.
0: I was going to say, Tulsi um, uh, kind of hit the nail on the head. Um, the only other thing I'd mention is, is when we're, Going into a customer that has like a long legacy of using EPM or hyperine planning rest space. Um, what I also see a lot of is, you know, if they're a- acquisitive, like there's a lot of MA activity, we'll often see kind of hierarchy structured around that. Like, you know, like how can we compare historicals for this legacy company versus that one? So um, you can kind of group uh, your, your dimensionality however you wish within each dimension. It's just what makes sense? What types of reports are we trying to produce?
1: And let's just say, you know, one of our clients, they go out and acquire a company. Is that pretty straightforward to integrate that new entity within Cloud EPM?
0: It's a loaded term to say straightforward, but but certainly, right, if we're just talking about bringing um, a, a customer in, if they're on a, a different chart of accounts, then we want to understand how to map that information with the existing, uh, you know, the incumbents chart of accounts, how to bring that in. Uh, once we know that, then then it's possible to, uh, integrate with that that other system if there's another general ledger we want to bring in we can do that using the data management functionality uh, to load it in and then it's it's about kind of extending the dimensionality we have right so if there's additional uh, departments or entities or accounts that are needed to represent this this additional uh, company that we're merging in that we'll want to make sure that the application can support that and then uh, outputting out of that is of course um, making sure that our dashboards uh, charts forms and reports all reflect that as well
2: I think an interesting point on this line, because I do think, you know, that question often comes up on the consolidation side. Right. We're really bringing in more GL-level data. On the planning side, I think it gets a little bit more interesting because it really depends on if that business operates the same way, right? When we get into things like models and drivers and how they're actually modeling their business out. Um, so that can vary, right, depending on the acquisition and how similar they are to the existing company. So I think the approach for, you know, a consolidation project might be a little bit different than the approach we'd take on a planning project.
0: Yeah, and there's right. certainly always a, like a feeling out period and a teething process. Like, oh, we want to have have this a- acquisition, you know, fully integrated by X state. And then until that point, you know, they may be doing more direct inputs instead of using the modeling that's already built in for the, the current company.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, at the time we have remaining, you know, since we are talking about M&A, could y'all share a little bit on what might drive complexity within a scenario modeling module? Um, you know, there's so many different ways you can play with it and kind of the rule of thumb is any planning outside of three or five years, uh, you might want to leverage the strategic planning or scenario modeling module. Um, really, really relevant to model out MA activity, see how that'll affect uh, your balance sheet, credit score, good things like that.
0: So to me, the power of strategic modeling is is really around the flexibility of the tool set. So really, you're, you're just kind of giving, getting um, a chart of accounts that you can configure and customize and then... Uh, the modeling capability within to do, kind of do take it wherever you need it to go so um, that's kind of a two-edged sword right because you you have all of the capability in there to model whatever you want um, and then it's really up to the implementer or the you know the author along with the customer to determine hey what makes sense to put in this model additionally how many models should we create you know how many consolidation or aggregation structures do we need to create And for each of these models and each of these aggregations, how many, you know, what if scenarios do we need to have? How many business cases do we need to support? So all of that will come into play in in determining complexity of of your strategic models. So certainly it's easy to say like, okay, I want to create my my income statement in here, uh, integrate with my bottoms up plan coming from these other frameworks, bring that information in. But then where do you go from there, right? Like what other source systems do we want to integrate? What other um, data or KPIs do we need to provide? And then how many what-if cases do you want to generate? That's that's very, very open-ended in my opinion.
1: Yeah, as is the case with planning more than the other modules, though, the answer a lot of the time is, you know, it depends, right? So, it depends if you want to incorporate commodities pricing. It depends if you want to marry, you know, sales and operational data into these, you know, variable what-if scenarios. So... Uh, with planning, really, the sky's the limit, right? Whereas with some of these more accounting-centric uh, tools, right, there are clear parameters on what's success and what is, you know, not working. Well, all right, everybody. Um, I think that just about covers it for today. Uh, Tulsi Chen, thank you for joining us. So thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, we'll see you next time.